You're on the panel on RNZ National. Nice to have your company. We have Sue Bradford and Ben Thomas with us this afternoon. Stats NZ reports unemployment rose to 3.3% from 3.2% against expectations. The current unemployment rate is the lowest since 1986. Meanwhile, did you get a pay rise? Wages rose at an annual rate of 3.4%, the highest since late 2008, although still well short of inflation. The economy is expected to have added as many as 10,000 jobs during this quarter. With us is Brad Olson, Principal Economist at Infometrics. He's been uh, looking very closely at this announcement uh, this morning, from this morning. Kia ora, Brad. Good afternoon. A slight lift. Were you expecting this? No, and no one was expecting it. Uh, it sort of shows just how good over the last few years the forecasters have been when it comes to the unemployment rate. Uh, expectations from the market were between uh, the current or the, the previously uh, 3.2% unemployment rate, maybe all the way down to 08 In fact, it lifted. Looking into it, though, what did drive that lift and, and what we obviously didn't account for as much, we knew that there were going to be people uh, that couldn't operate normally in the workforce because of COVID. We thought that the peak of Omicron uh, back last quarter might have been worse, but it looks like the persistent levels of uh, COVID in the community and all the, the other winter illnesses and, and, and flu and similar going around uh, has contributed to a few more people being unable or unwilling to go out and try and find work that pushed the unemployment rate up. Just that margin uh, additional 0.1%. Ah, so that could be an explainer. Nonetheless, um, your thoughts, I mean, you've got a red-hot labour market. Isn't this a good thing? Isn't it great for society that so many people have a job right now? Absolutely. The, the level of employment in the economy is strong, and that's been and will continue to be a really important point for New Zealand's economy going forward. The worry, though, that we have is given the pressures on the economy, given how much we're trying to do, uh, we're seeing and we're starting to see the signs that very high levels of inflation are starting to require businesses to push uh, wage increases up, which, of course, is important. But if that turns into a spiral, if you start to see inflation leading wages, then leading inflation again, uh, we do get into a worrying position. So there's, it's very much good news, but it continues to highlight that realistically, the economy is still trying to do a lot with realistically not as, uh, an, as much or not enough resource. And if we run the economy too hot, it's just like when you do it with the car, eventually huh. it stumbles. Okay, let's bring in our panellist, Sue Bradford. Um. Yes, it was very interesting to see the unemployment stats coming up today. Um, as I've been, I've been tracking this for some decades now with, with my background in the unemployed workers movement, and um, I've just—it's been amazing this year to see how many job vacancies there are. I never thought I'd live to see a situation where unemployment was so low, really low. But yeah, I, honestly. <laughs> Since the early 1980s, when unemployment really started to go high, actually under Muldoon before he lost power, um, it, I've been stunned to see, like, just to be part of it and see a society where we have so many jobs available. And from the point of view of unemployed people at the moment, I think that the, the biggest issue is that gap between people who want work and can't get work. And, and people tend to still put them down to say, look, there's so many jobs going, why can't you get Oh, so you just yep. systems Sorry, so yep. you're breaking. Can you you're break, hear me now? Yeah, you're breaking up a little bit there. All right, Brad, do you want to respond to that? 
Oh, look, I, I think just to support what, what, what we've heard there in terms of um, it, it is encouraging to see that, that low unemployment rate. And it's also encouraging uh, today we saw the Māori unemployment rate drop further. So, and uh, looking before, Northland's unemployment rate at 2.8%, uh, sorry, 2.9% you know, the lowest in 17 years. So, so you really are seeing some encouraging signs. Uh, I think, you know, we, we always sort of keep an eye as well on those who aren't getting as much from it. Um, and as much as people are in employment and that's strong, the fact is only 26% of jobs over the last year got a pay rise of more than 5%. So those who are in employment are, are uh. still not going as far forward as inflation is going. So a very much good news story, but always, I think, important to, to keep an eye on those who aren't getting as much from employment as they possibly should. Ben? Yeah, and that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because a lot of people that you talk to find that it's easier to negotiate and to get a pay rise by moving sort of laterally, by going to another employer. Um, and, you know, that that's something that I think New Zealand employers are not particularly good at, is, is paying people you know, the best offer straight up, uh, you know, for their existing employees who they would prefer to retain, who they, you know, so they don't have the costs of retraining, upskilling, you know, new people. Um, but but often you only get that offer if you go and say, look, I'm resigning and getting another job. Uh, I, I was talking to someone in the corporate sphere, Brad, uh, just picking up on that, who they're doing everything they can to try and retain people because um, not retaining them is a big cost on their books. So they're going to these, you know, fun courses, how to communicate better. What do you want in the office? You know, what more do you need? That type of thing. Oh, and you've got to at the moment to try and attract and, and, and more importantly, like say, retain workers. What we know is uh, NZIR's survey of businesses going all the way back to the 1970s are uh, showing that New Zealand businesses currently reporting still the highest levels of job churn or, or turnover and, and poaching of staff that we've seen before. And look, we've all seen the news stories, right, of people who are saying, look, um, you know, I, I threatened to leave and, and I'm now on ten to $20,000 more. And it's exactly because of what you've just highlighted here. As a business, if you lose someone and have to find a new person that's difficult enough, then you've got to pay for all of their training to get them up to speed. You've got to deal with them having lower productivity until they know the job and they can do yes. it themselves without uh, assistance and similar. So it's an expensive uh, expensive role and, and therefore people really are starting to get some gains. The fact that wage increases at the moment are their highest on record is encouraging. Um, and, and I think, you know, it sort of speaks to, again, and this won't hold forever, but if you are thinking about asking for a pay rise now is probably the best time you might have ever. Good. Thanks for the hot tip, uh, Brad Olson. If you want a pay rise, now is probably the best time ever. You heard that here first. Kia ora, Brad. Thanks very much. Well, not first. It's been around, hasn't it? But uh, nonetheless, certainly uh, a good point to make. I want to sort of mine your experience, uh, Sue Brad, for while you're here on this particular issue. Let's keep going with this a little bit because yeah, I, I'm old enough to recall, what do we have you had your 8% employment, you had your 10% unemployment rather, you had your 12% unemployment. Did it get, did it get higher than that? Um, well, it depended um, where you lived and what yeah. your ethnicity was. <laughs> yes, it got a lot higher than that for, for Māori and rural areas, for Pacifica people and, and so on, and uh, yeah, different times. Um, unemployment got very bad in, in the 1990s and into the 2000s. Um, so it, it is great to see it come down at the moment, but I'm still very concerned about there's 100,000 or so unemployed on these latest stats, 
and the gap um, in the system's ability to actually pick up and serve those people when we do have this hot job market and yet there's this massive gap for a whole lot of people. And a lot of that, I think, is down to um, we still don't have employers really keen to pick up people with disability, with the okay. people recovering from mental illness and addiction and so on. Like There's big gaps going on. And, and one thing that we have to be careful about, because inflation is, you know, is running so rampant, is seven point four percent. Yeah, is is that as we address that, you know, interest rates going higher, um, that we try and avoid, you know, the so-called hard landing, um, because as Sue will, you know, is very aware of because of work she did in the nineties. You know, that that unemployment, that, that high unemployment um, in in the late eighties, early nineties. It came with a huge social cost that didn't just it wasn't confined to that era you know but because you know as as the you know the sort of center right will remind you you know you know working you know being in work is it's a habit it's a lifestyle you know if you if you're not modeled the the correct thing people lose their confidence um and and it can really have a lot of like you know very harsh sort of knock-on effects um, and you know it, as, as the sort of uh, monetary situation becomes a bit tighter um, that's something that you know everyone will have to be you know on watch for. Right. 17 past four the panel you are with uh, Ben Thomas and Sue Bradford this afternoon lovely uh, to have your company. Another big news. For the first time, New Zealand has a long-term strategy to deal with the effects of climate change. Announced late this morning, the 200-page National Adaptation Plan. Big issues here, like managed retreat, some communities in Aotearoa may be abandoned. One in seven people already live in flood-prone areas, and Climate Change Minister James Shaw says the country has had decades to prepare. Yet we haven't taken those decades as a country to try and get ahead of it. And we are now in a situation where we're having to clean up repeated messes in different parts of the country and also to try and get ahead of, uh, of it getting any worse. That managed retreat in Matata, for example, took 17 years and traumatised some homeowners there. The toughest question, who will pay for damage and the cost to adapt to climate change and how to get people to leave their homes fairly and squarely, no answers on that. Local Government NZ President and Bay of Plenty Regional Councillor Stuart Crosby joins us. Kia ora, Stuart. Good afternoon, Wallace. In fact, this is a very big issue in your area, isn't it? Uh, for example, a home water and that, uh, that stretch of coast along there. Yes, our council was involved in the Matata uh, retreat. Yeah. And as you said, very stressful for the homeowners. And nobody really wants to go through that in the manner in which they had to go through it. It so, took years, Stuart. It took years. Yes, yeah, so the many false starts. And, um, you know, we were at the front of that. And that's why we believe and support, you know, a better way forward in terms of the adaptation plan. You know, there's, I think there's 120 odd actions in there. They need to be populated. In our view, they need to be linked together. There's no point. For example, Wallace actioning, say, half of them and the other uh, half aren't, you know, resourcing is a really big issue as well. Well, that, that is the big issue, isn't it? Scenario, I live close to the shoreline. Natural hazard information is going to be recorded on my limb report. Next thing, I can't reinsure my property. Who pays? Good question. I actually live on Papamaa Beach, so I've been through all that <laughs> uh, in terms of coastal hazard management. But, you know, you know how we manage that? We actually did it on a natural basis. Um, 
The Ford June, for example, is the best protection. And so the June Care program has been going 20 years and it's working incredibly well. Yeah. But and, and, of course, all the new homes have to be made relocatable, as an example. So there are mitigations around that don't always necessarily mean a retreat. But who pays? Clearly, in this plan, says it as the Minister Shaw, um, it would have to be done on a shared basis. The government can't do it on their own. Local government can't do it on their own. Homeowners can't. The insurance council have said for many years, hey, we've got to look at this. Um, so it would be a shared shared cost. Ben? Yeah, the uncertainty is a real issue, isn't it? Because you would think that if people, you know, if this was sort of, um, you know, if steps were being taken and if progress was being made on this, you would start to see coastal land values drop. And instead, they've just been going up and up and up, which indicates that the public, to the extent that it's even aware of this, isn't taking it seriously. So there, there, there's certainly, you know, I mean, we've gotten used, over, used to over the COVID period, particularly the government sort of bailing us out, you know, of, of any kind of problems. But this is something where, you know, an onus has to fall on the landowners uh, because it has to fall on not just current landowners, but prospective buyers and the kinds of people who are still, you know, exchanging cash for the most at-risk properties. It's a fair point, Stuart. Ah, oh, yes. You know, from my experience, in many engagements, particularly with coastal landowners, there is a laissez-faire attitude. You know, she'll be right. It won't bother me. I'll be dead by the time this happens. And um, that's just not good enough moving forward because new homeowners need to know what the risks are. You know, the banks will be looking a lot more closely in terms of uh, mortgage lending, etc., in terms of risks. So we can't kick this can down the road any longer. We need an integrated approach uh, in terms of how we address it. And, of course, there are other issues as well. There's at the other extreme. There's, there's drought and wildfires coming along as well. Sue? Um, it's good to see that um, finally uh, the government appears to be taking this seriously. But um, I think I agree with both this, Ben and, and, and the other speaker about the laissez-faire attitude. Until recently we were living in a coastal area between the river and the sea and it was constantly on my mind at what point would, would the water level rise to the point where the whole community was wiped out and, and it, there had been a tsunami through there in times gone by. Um, and how little people seem to be aware of it. And the houses that were being built, great big mansions down on the seafront, yeah. um, they were certainly not movable properties. So people are carrying on as if this is never going to happen, nothing's ever going to change. And, of course, we've got coastal communities like that all over the country um, many of them um, are, are iwi areas as well, so Māori have a big um, risk and a big role to play in dealing with that risk. Is, so um, I'm very interested to see how, how much um, iwi Māori will be involved in this going mm. forward and to what extent anything can be done to try and shake people or wake people up to the reality. Um, yes, uh, you know, will properties be able to be insured after a certain point? That point might be coming a lot sooner than people think. Um, the actual the actual rise of water levels might be coming a lot sooner than people think. Well, this is exactly it, and that's why we're talking about it. In fact, just this May, New Zealand climate scientist Stuart said they were actually quite shocked at the rate of sea level rise, twice as fast as previously thought. And it's not it's not only your small coastal communities; it's your, the likes of Wellington. Gosh, um, around St Helier's Bay, uh, try that uh, in a king tide. Can you foresee, Stuart? some pretty grunty legal issues coming up and 
community fight back? And is L uh, is, is local government NZ prepared for all of that? Well, yes. First of all, it's not as if um, we've been sitting on our hands no. doing nothing. We we have been seeking to address this through the current RMA process, Wallace, in terms of uh, natural hazards. But of course, when a council does a study, for example, on a potential risk and it identifies it, it then puts it on people's um, property information files. All hell breaks loose, you know. And 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 it's 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 been it's been variable up and down New Zealand in terms of the quality of the work actually even done by councils and consultants. Uh, there is, has, and has been at times successful legal challenges in terms of information put on people's property files. So again, you know, this adaptation plan will give some uniformity uh, in terms of how we can approach the issue moving forward. Kia ora, Stuart. Good to have you on. That's Stuart Crosby there from uh, LGNZ, also the Bay, Bay of Plenty Regional Council. 25 past four, I must say, uh, of all the topics so far, the one that's ignited you, really got you spinning, is light lamps. Um, ben Thomas waltzed in and said he uses light lamps. I'm going to talk about it a little bit light lamps uh, later on, although someone says, Andrew says, can you please let Ben know that Chris Finlayson would not stand for any nonsense with sun lamps? Uh, many of you, many of you use light lamps. I lived in Finland for 14 years. We use sun lamps every winter. More of that feedback later in the programme. Text me, 2101, email the panel at rnz.co. But I wanted to bring uh, the panellists uh, in for this. The government's cost of living payment is under further scrutiny, but the Revenue Minister, David Parker, doesn't think an investigation is needed. A number of people received this first payment of $116 while overseas. The exact number isn't known by IRD. Plus, the number of people who have so far received it is much lower than expected, about 1.3 million people out of the 2.1 million the government claimed would benefit. National wants the Auditor General to investigate, with Deputy Leader Nicola Willis calling the situation an absolute dog's breakfast. Her words. Sue Bradford, your thoughts. Does there need to be an investigation? Um, I would imagine it would be useful to do some investigation. Um, It's clear that it's been really difficult, but the government kind of went in with its eyes open, knowing that IRD didn't have all the info it needed and wanted to take a universalist approach, i.e. to get it out to everyone they could that, that fit the category rather than have people apply for it. And I think that was good. Um, I really support um, efforts, anything towards um, universal provision of income in this way rather than than having it so tight that many people miss out. Even at the expense... I'll keep going. Sorry. uh, I mean, even though... I mean, it seems from the outside it was inevitable that it was going to be a dog's breakfast in the sense that there's just simply not the information there in IRD and they wouldn't have the staff to put it together. I mean, just the... It's no wonder that, that people um, overseas and so on are getting the payment when they shouldn't. Well, I'm just um, wondering if it'll be... I'm, people, one hopes, uh, one yeah. hopes that on the whole it's going to... Um, it's, it, it is getting out to the people who need it and who qualify it ben. for it, and it's a good thing. Yeah, it certainly bears all the hallmarks of a policy that was designed pretty much overnight, which I think is what uh, Justice Minister Kiri Tapu-Ellen uh, described it as today. 
Uh, I think she meant that in a good way in terms of the speed with which the government could act. But, um, you know, we're seeing a lot more of this sort of real policy making on the hoof doesn't seem to be well designed. Remember, this was not promoted as a universal uh, allowance. This was promoted as, you know, a very targeted measure uh, by Ardern uh, as recently as Q&A on Sunday. She said, you know, this is not just splaying money everywhere because we don't want to stoke inflation. It's not helicopter money. This is targeted at the people who need it, who apparently include magic circle lawyers in London who haven't been back to New Zealand for six years. What would you say, Ben, uh, the Herald did an op piece saying, look, anyone embarrassed or outraged by the overreach of the scheme, I mean, they can return the payment, forward it to a charity and and update their records. And let's face it, something had to be done and doing nothing would have been worse. What, What would you say to that? Well, I think there's a yeah. Again, you don't want to get into these false binaries of what would you it, have done. It, it was what this would you or have done? nothing. Well, I think I think first of all, you might make people apply for it in the same way as you know, fam, working for families tax credits, uh, benefits, uh, superannuation. You know, there's, there's very few. Th- I think the gold card is about the only thing that you just get sent to you out of nowhere by the government. Um, you know, it, it's pretty clear that the data sets that IRD have. Um, you know, couldn't do this cross-checking function, um, you know, with the sort of required accuracy. I think they warned about this in the regulatory impact statement uh, to the government. They said that we're we're maybe not the best agency for it. It should be MSD, who are used to paying out benefits. Um, You know, it's very unclear. David Parker said, well, we think there's probably about 1%. And I think you'd say, yeah, for a $750 million program, 1% waste, you know, versus the cost of administering it to get, you know, get the targeting much more tightly, you'd probably say that's a pretty good deal. So on the other hand, if it's 1%, we, you know, I think 2000 people have already returned it and ruled themselves out. So we've got to assume that one in 10 of all the ineligible people have already had their eyes glued or peeled to New Zealand news overseas. Well, let's bring let's let's bring Sue in, and and what a point that is. Um, very few um, services, Sue Bradford. You just it comes to you. What you do is, if you need it, you'd apply for it. And who wouldn't apply for a hundred and sixteen dollars in three instalments if you needed that money? Sue. Um. Yeah, there is that, but um, then again, you have to have the whole government apparatus ready to um, deal with that, and, and I think that's what the government perhaps is worried about, how much the cost would be the government of administering what for them would be a huge number of, of requests for a comparatively small amount of money for, in government terms. Um, and I think one of the biggest problems with this is actually that it hasn't gone to beneficiaries who are so desperately in need and so, on the whole, desperately um have have such low income compared to meeting their real needs, especially with inflation, that that's a real pity in this, that it didn't go to beneficiaries. I'd also, as you probably realise, would love to see the government, rather than spending a lot of time reviewing this this process it's just been through, to actually put some real focused effort into exploring options for basic income, which would be properly universal, as indeed this isn't. Um, but moving forward into that, um, into really going deeply into the possibilities around basic income, perhaps even looking at running some basic income pilots in this country. A universal basic income pilot. This is something that we are going to be talking about later in the programme. Would you support a universal basic income pilot, Ben Thomas, briefly? Oh, look, if, if I say anything about it, I'll end up on a top mailing list. Um, I... <laughs> 
So that's a no. No, look, universal basic income um, makes a lot of sense in a future where all work is done by robots and humans are people of leisure. Uh, All right. It doesn't make a lot of sense uh, in you know, current. That's a no. All right. Uh, you're on the panel, RNZ National, Ben Thomas and Sue Bradford with me today.